Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Hello, listeners. Just a quick word from me to let you know, if you hadn't figured out already, that this is not Terminator 2 Judgment Day. And there's a reason why this is not Terminator 2 Judgment Day, because I got myself sick. I had a bout of food poisoning. It was very silly of me to eat what I ate, but I ate it and I was really sick. And what that meant was I was sick for a couple of days and I couldn't make a start on Terminator 2 Judgment Day when I needed to. And I just basically made peace with the fact that I wouldn't release an episode this week. And then I thought to myself, well, actually, I do have another episode that I could put in. And technically, technically, it is a sequel to something. I thought, what this is, this is an episode on One Division. And this episode was originally released as a Patreon exclusive back in June 2021. And so what I thought was, I'm going to re-release this to everyone. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is coming next week now. Instead of Terminator 2 Judgment Day, enjoy this episode on One Division. What is grief, if not love persevering? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to the first of a series of very special patron-only episodes of Verbal Diorama on WandaVision. And this is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of TV, you know, and TV you don't. <laughs> Just thought I'd mix it up a little bit there. So, hello lovely patrons. Thank you so much for your constant support. It really means so much to me that you believe in me so much, enough to give me some pennies every month to keep Verbal Diorama afloat. And genuinely, I don't believe in myself as much as you believe in me. So I wanted to do something for patrons to just kind of say, you know, how much I really do appreciate you. And 
This is the first of a series of special patron-only episodes to say thank you. And while I know that Agent Carter was wanted as well, WandaVision did win the patron poll. And I mean, it's a really fascinating show to kind of go into. And one of the most infuriating things for me, and very frustrating actually, is that I really don't have a great deal of time to go through it in the, the amount of depth that I really want to. When you've got a two hour movie, it's quite easy. I mean, you always miss stuff out on a two hour movie. You can't talk about everything. But when you've got a season of TV, that's the best part of half an hour, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, even 60 minutes per episode. There's so much content in this show. It's impossible for me to talk about every single thing about this show. But I hope that you'll enjoy this episode and I hope that you'll get something out of it. But just some admin to get out of the way first. So these episodes will be similarly structured to the main episodes, but obviously because TV differs to film, I can't go through this episode by episode. So it is a more analytical look on the series as a whole and how WandaVision actually came into being. But to be honest, WandaVision is actually a great one to start with because it's a limited series and the importance to the MCU as a whole, I think, can't be understated. Additionally, looking to the future for these episodes, there's always a very small chance that one of these patron-only episodes may make it onto the main feed at some point in the future. If only to entice new patrons and just say, look, these episodes are really cool, you might want to listen to them. But I'll be completely honest, it's not going to happen until there's a bit of a bank of them. Scheduling-wise... I'm going to be trying to get a new episode out to you quarterly. I would really like to commit to bi-monthly, but unless I can manifest a new version of myself like Wanda can, that's not likely, especially with Rotoscoperama around the corner. I am going to try really hard to get episodes out as frequently as I can, but obviously I know that you guys know that it is just me who runs Verbal Diorama, so basically everything to do with Verbal Diorama is just one person. So I will always try to do what I can for patrons because I'm so appreciative of you guys. But yeah, just, just to kind of let you know how things are going to work with these episodes going forward. But yeah, I'm just going to kind of jump into the trailer for WandaVision because, I mean, it's a really great show. <laughs> Wonder and vision. Aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is gonna be a gas! Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Damn it, why? Oh, Arthur, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Why would you think that? Because you are. We are an unusual couple, you know. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. (laughs) 
Blending the style of classic sitcoms with the MCU, Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpowered, be two superpowered beings are living their ideal suburban lives as a happily married couple. But soon the characters in the TV show begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. Quickly run through the main cast for this show. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, Paul Bettany as Vision, Catherine Hahn as Agnes, Tiona Paris as Monica Rambo, Randall Park as Jimmy Woo, Kat Dennings as Dr. Darcy Lewis, Josh Stamberg as director Taylor Haywood, and featuring David Payton as Herb, David Lengel as Phil, Asif Ali as Norm, Julian Hillard as Billy Maximoff, Jack Klein as Tommy Maximoff, Evan Peters as Pietro Maximoff, Deborah Jo Rupp as Mrs. Hart, and Emma Colfield Ford as Dottie. The series WandaVision was created by Jack Schaefer, but the series was directed by Matt Shackman, and series writing credits to Peter Cameron, Mackenzie Dore, Laura Donny, Bobak Esfarjani, Megan McDowell, Jack Schaefer, Cameron Squires, Gretchen Enders, and Chuck Haywood. Wanda Maximoff was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and Vision was created by Roy Thomas and John Bashima. So let's start with Marvel Television a separate production company to Marvel Studios, purely for the production of Marvel's TV shows, both live action and animated. This company was responsible for Marvel's TV show deals with Netflix, for the likes of Daredevil and Jessica Jones, ABC Studios for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter, along with collaborative deals on what was 20th Century Fox's X-Men shows like Legion. Marvel Television was founded in 2010, and they started work on several shows which never made it to air, including Guillermo del Toro's Hulk TV show, as well as early inklings of a show based on AKA Jessica Jones, which obviously did materialise and become Netflix's Jessica Jones. In 2012, ABC ordered a pilot for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and post the Agent Carter one-shot featured at the end of Iron Man 3, an Agent Carter TV show started development. And by the way, Agent Carter will come to this series if it gets voted for, it will come. But I'm not going to put Agent Carter back in the pot for a little while because I do want to try and mix it up with these TV shows. But yes, I'm very excited to cover Agent Carter at some point in the future because that is also a great show. While most of these shows have been MCU adjacent and featured minor guest stars from the MCU, none have actually been set within the world of the MCU until WandaVision. With the conception of Disney Plus came Marvel Studios' intent for several limited series focusing on supporting characters from the MCU whose stories had perhaps not been served as well as the main Avengers and who hadn't had their own movies. They would be budgeted as if they were a major studio production and would be produced by Marvel Studios directly rather than Marvel Television and Kevin Feige would be hands-on for each of the series and their development, which does beg the question of actually how exactly Kevin Feige does all of these things. Are we certain that the man has not been cloned? That is a genuine question, by the way, because everything that I've done so far with the likes of, well, all of the MCU stuff, the Avengers, Captain America, Black Panther, going through all of this WandaVision stuff, Kevin Feige has seriously been involved in each of them. So, I mean, the man is clearly some sort of superhero himself, I swear to God. Anyway... So by the end of 2018, only at the point of the release of Avengers Endgame, although, as discussed in episodes 99 and 100, Infinity War and Endgame were filmed back-to-back, -back, essentially, a show focused on Wanda Maximoff and the Synthesoid Vision was underway. 
This was headed by Brian Shapek and Mary Lavanos, took over the production midway through 2018, with both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany scheduled to return to the roles for a show purported to be called Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Jack Schaefer, who co-wrote the upcoming Black Widow movie, was hired in January 2019 as head writer. In April 2019, the series was announced to be called WandaVision, which was reportedly inspired as a compound title by the movie Black Klansman. Kevin Feige was initially hesitant on the title, but Jack Schaefer thought it would be perfect for the story, the story WandaVision was going to be telling. Because the name WandaVision means so much more than the two characters it's about. Matt Shackman signed on to direct in August 2019. He was a child actor in the 1980s in sitcoms like Just the Ten of Us and drew on those experiences to direct WandaVision. Kevin Feige was visually inspired by Mike Del Mundo's covers for the comic book series The Vision by Tom King and Gabriel Hernandez-Walter. This was a Norman Rockwell meets Leave it to Beaver style cover. Obviously, I can't really visually tell you what the cover looks like, but you can find it online. It is a really, really interesting cover. It looks really retro, but also quite modern as well. And so inspiration for the story was taken from various comic book series, but was pitched to Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany as a mix of The Vision with a bit of House of M by Brian Michael Bendis and Olivier Coppel. Other inspiration was taken from Scarlet Witch, Witch's Road, the Avengers Disassembled storyline that preceded House of M by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch, and the Vision Quest storyline from West Coast Avengers by John Byrne, and the Vision and Scarlet Witch runs by Bill Mantlo and Rick Leonardi and Stephen Engelhardt and Richard Howell. Rather than stick with the tone of previous MCU shows, they wanted something irreverent. Feige, Schaefer, Shackman and Livanos took inspiration from Thor Ragnarok, which essentially soft-rebooted Thor into a more comedic character, as well as the Marvel TV series Legion. Um, and I don't know if anyone listening has watched Legion, but Legion is a really interesting show. It has a very unreliable narrator. It has a very distinct narrative structure, as well as a very unique visual style. The style of Legion mixes 1960s design with modern day technology and is filmed very much through the main character David's warped sense of reality. It is a fantastic show. I will admit to not finishing Legion, <laughs> but from what I did see of Legion, I think I saw most of season one and maybe halfway through season two. The character David Heller is the son of Professor X, canonically in the comics. So it's a really, really interesting show to kind of feature from his point of view. And he is very unreliable as a narrator. So it, it is very mind bending and very, very weird. But it is a great show. And I mean, I, I can't really recommend it if I've not finished it. But I would definitely recommend the first season because from what I saw of Legion, it was really, really fantastic. There's only three seasons of that show as well. And that's on Disney+. Plus. Anyway, so Jack Schaefer set out to hire a fair mix of both male and female writers as well as people of colour, to give WandaVision as much perspective as possible. Existing MCU footage of Wanda and Vision, including footage that actually never made it into the films, was watched by Shackman and Schaefer. And, and Schaefer specific, specifically was fascinated with the very mundane Paprakash scene in Captain America Civil War. And, this, and because it was a potential look at domestic life between these two characters, essentially a genetically modified human and a sentient synthesoid. And noticed that both Olsen and Bettany had very warm, honest, down-to-earth chemistry that would counterbalance the ridiculousness of a series that was essentially based on classic sitcoms. It would also introduce Wanda Maximoff as the Scarlet Witch, 
a title that has not been bestowed on her in any Marvel movie to this point, as well as several other comic book characters that would be introduced in this show, many of whom were hidden from the start, or hidden in plain sight, actually, more to the point. So Tayona Paris auditioned for and was announced to be playing Geraldine. It wasn't until later she was told she was going to be Monica Rambeau. And Monica Rambeau was obviously introduced back in Captain Marvel. She was 11 years old in that movie and played by Akira Akbar. A month later, at Disney's biennial D23 convention, Kat Dennings and Randall Park were confirmed to be returning to the MCU as the now Doctor Darcy Lewis and Jimmy Woo, respectively. And Dennings and Park obviously both have sitcom experience. Kat Dennings in the sitcom Two Broke Girls and Randall Park on Fresh Off the Boat. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about Westview's nosy neighbour, Agnes. Agnes, always there to lend a hand, to give advice or to offer comfort. And Catherine Hahn's casting was announced at D23 as Agnes. And almost immediately, and I'm going to come back to fan theories a bit later, but almost immediately fans started to question who Agnes was. And this was one of the few fan theories that actually turned out to be true. And technically, it really was Agatha all along. And this obviously isn't Han's first venture into Marvel. She also voiced Olivia Octavius, aka Doc Ock, in the sublime Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which you'll all know is episode 32 of this podcast. And of course you've listened to it. And Agnes really is the scene-stealing star of the show. Like all good supporting characters, Catherine Hahn just brings this down-to-earth, funny, yet slightly edgy mixed to Agnes. And of course, we find out that Wanda isn't the only puppeteer in Westview. And I, ca I can't really say enough brilliant things about Catherine Hahn in this show. I feel like this could easily be the first patron episode of Verbal Diorama all about Catherine Hahn. Because let's be honest, who doesn't love Catherine Hahn? I can't focus on Catherine Hahn as much as I would love to, but just know how much I adore Catherine Hahn and how much I love Agnes and Agatha to that extent in this show. Additionally, now, you guys know, presumably, that I'm a huge Buffy fan. And I'll admit that when I heard that Emma Caulfield Ford was going to be in this show, I thought to myself, something big. She's, she's going to be a huge character. Something about her. She played Anya on Buffy. And there was obviously a lot of fan theories about the character she played, about Dottie. And even I was sucked into the fantasy that perhaps Dottie was something more than she actually was. You know, we got these hints about Dottie being the key to everything that goes on in Westview. And and then at the end, the creators were like, actually, that was just a huge red herring. And they purposefully cast Emma Colfield Ford because of her, the fact that she was Anya in Buffy. And Anya, if you don't know, the character is a centuries-year-old vengeance demon. So I just thought that was just inspired casting because I was certain that it was Dottie all along. <laughs> it wasn't. But yeah, so the cast in this show, I, I haven't really kind of gone into the cast, but the cast in the show is tremendous. Tiona Paris is phenomenal. And the likeness between her and Akira Akbar is so good. Akira Akbar could genuinely be the young version of Tiona Paris. And I just think everyone, obviously Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are perfect, but all of the supporting characters in this show are really, really well cast as well. WandaVision does purposefully exemplify the, the tropes of sitcoms, the contrivances, the values of the times, and the limitations of these shows as well. 
but WandaVision went out of its way to pay homage to the classic look and feel of these sitcoms, especially from the 50s and 60s. And just for me personally, I grew up watching quite a few American sitcoms. And then they were mainly 90s sitcoms, so I grew up watching a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But when I was a kid, there's a TV station here called Channel 4. And every morning on Channel 4, they used to show old American sitcoms. They used to show I Dream of Jeannie and Bewitched. I used to watch those shows all the time. And so for me, seeing a show like WandaVision emulate shows like Bewitched, I just instantly picked it up. I instantly knew what they were talking about. And even going into like shows from the 80s and, and stuff like that, they weren't really that popular here in the UK. I mean, we got shows like Roseanne and stuff like that. It was really kind of going into the 90s with things like Friends and The Fresh Prince. So I actually really appreciated WandaVision for that. And that's obviously not something that a lot of people perhaps younger would appreciate as much because I do think it does help to have a knowledge of those TV shows that it is paying homage to but also I don't think you need to same as you don't need to know the MCU back to front to watch this show and appreciate the show and understand it and that's something that I really like about WandaVision. I want to talk about how WandaVision was filmed because they wanted to painstakingly realise these shows as, as best as they could and obviously we don't live in the 50s so it's very difficult to emulate the 50s in a way that's very authentic to how 50s TV shows were filmed. But they basically did everything they could to try and emulate the 50s and the 60s going into the 70s and 80s and 90s. And I really appreciate that too. So they, uh, the series was filmed with Ari Alexa 4K HDR cameras. So the cameras, super modern. <laughs> like the most modern cameras, the best cameras that you can get. This show had a huge budget for a TV show. It was basically a movie budget, but spread out over a TV show. So what they did with these particular cameras is they still wanted to painstakingly realise the tone and the style of the era. So they used different lenses and they used 47 different camera lenses to mimic the seven different time periods shown on screen. And originally the plan was to use cameras from each era. So they wanted to get cameras from the 50s and 60s, but that proved very difficult to source. And obviously cameras of that age, probably not gonna be working as well as they maybe did in the past. So it was quite time prohibitive. And there is a lot of time restrictions in WandaVision that I will get into, but the, the, it was very time prohibitive. So what they did was they actually used custom period appropriate lenses on each of these eras. Ultra Panatar lenses were used outside of the hex. So basically everything outside of the hex looked ultra modern because it was supposed to and that was where the ultra panatar lenses came in even lighting was period appropriate so the 50s 60s and 70s used old tungsten lighting and then moving into the 2000s led lighting was used so they tried to be as appropriate to the era as possible while also maintaining a modern tv show and it i mean it's it's quite astonishing really that the first episode of this is obviously set in the 50s. It was filmed in colour, clearly, and then converted into black and white with a four to three aspect ratio. It was also filmed in front of a live studio audience, emulating sitcom filming in the 50s. Obviously, this live studio audience was filmed before the pandemic, because the pandemic obviously plays a huge part in this show as well, and I'm gonna talk about that too. In these scenes, Vision was actually painted blue 
instead of his normal kind of reddish purpley hue. And that is simply because blue looks better in black and white. It's also something, coincidentally, that I talked about in the episode that I did on the movie Pleasantville, where the actors wore blue lipstick for the black and white scenes rather than red, because blue looks better in black and white than red does. Um, And as soon as those scenes in Pleasantville converted to colour, they were wearing red lipstick. Uh, And there are so many parallels between this show and Pleasantville that I am going to recommend Pleasantville at the end. If you haven't seen it, I would absolutely recommend you find a copy of Pleasantville. It is a fantastic movie. It's great Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, two teenagers from the 90s, end up in a 50s TV show. I saw so many parallels between WandaVision and Pleasantville. So I would absolutely recommend Pleasantville. So the filming of the show was in Atlanta. And so filming were filming actually started to take place at the end of 2019 and into 2020. So it was halted in March 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The production had been due to have a four-week hiatus in March. So that was convenient, but obviously that hiatus ended up lasting till September 2020, when filming could finally resume under strict COVID precautions. And this did affect the finale, and that's something I'm going to go to in a bit later as well. And COVID affected Marvel's planned release schedule completely in 2020. Originally, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was set to release first on Disney+. Plus. Obviously, that production also got affected by COVID too. And then that was to be followed by WandaVision in 2021. Because Marvel's cinematic release slate fell back in 2020 due to the pandemic, so did their TV slate. And it basically means that 2020 is the only year since the conception of the MCU where nothing was released at all from Marvel in that year. Wonder and Vision's house, so the set for WandaVision, is the Warner Studio Ranch in the San Fernando Valley. It's a street called Blondie Street. Uh, this street was used for classic sitcoms like I Dream of Genie, The Partridge Family and Bewitched. Wonder and Vision's actual house isn't a bungalow as it starts off being at the start of the show. It's actually a two-story property in real life. It was digitally changed to a bungalow for the first episode. And then as the series progresses, obviously the house changes both internally and externally as the decades change. So it does actually become a two-story home. Vision's workplace is located at the Business District Backlog at Disney's Golden Oak Ranch. And the Westview Town Square is the main road through the Golden Oak Business District. When production did return to WandaVision, like many workplaces, Marvel converted to remote working on post-production. And obviously, when you've got loads of people working from home, security was the biggest issue. No one wanted anything to leak out, whether that was purposefully or by accident. And also, the show was still filming while it was being edited. So while the first few episodes of the show were going through post-production, the final episodes of the show were still being filmed. So all of the post-production was being focused on these earlier shows, making sure the visual effects shots were added, while they were still filming the later shows so they could meet this air date for WandaVision. This meant that the creative team could see the fan theories about the finale while they were working on the finale. But none of these theories actually shaped what happened to the show. Although the show did change, it was nothing to do with fan theories. It was all to do with the COVID pandemic and basically the work that they could do. Visual effects in the show were pre-visualised by the third floor and they were completed by Digital Domain, Framestore, Industrial Light and Magic and Lola VFX and quite a few others. But the main companies that Marvel always tend to work with. 
A surprising number of scenes contained visual effects, many of which were actually practical. And this was to emulate the practical effects of the 50s and 60s, where plates were dangled with string and, and similar things, you know, shows like Bewitched. And a lot of the CG was used to create Westview, the exteriors, and obviously the hex as well, which was supposed to look like a CRT TV having a magnet drawn across it. Do you remember CRT TVs? <laughs> I do. I used to have one. I used to have several. They were huge. <laughs> they were huge, cumbersome TVs. I'm so glad for flat screen TVs nowadays because, yeah, no one's got room for a huge CRT TV anymore. So let's talk about the sitcoms that Wanda does pay tribute to. Uh, the showrunners wanted it to be a love letter to the golden age of US sitcoms focusing on family sitcoms rather than workplace sitcoms. And that was due to the central wonder and vision aesthetic. Dick Van Dyke, currently 95 and still going strong. The man is a legend. He consulted on the series as the star of his eponymous TV show. And the creative team would learn from Dick Van Dyke about how the Dick Van Dyke show was actually made. Other shows referenced include I Love Lucy, Father Knows Best, Bewitched, The Brady Bunch, Family Ties, Out of This World, Malcolm in the Middle, Modern Family, as well as meta-references to Full House, which starred Olsen's older sisters, Mary-Kate and Ashley. Each episode pays homage to a certain decade, from the 50s in episode 1 to the, late, to the mid to late 2000s in episode 7. And because this show would be set three weeks after the events of Endgame, Wanda has essentially been snapped back into reality at this point. She's fought Thanos been to Tony Stark's funeral and set out to the fictional town of Westview, New Jersey. This was named after Feige's hometown of Westfield, New Jersey. But they wanted a W and a V in the town name to symbolise Wonder and Vision, which I thought was really nice, actually. And I want to talk a little bit about Wonder and Vision, and I apologise if this is coming a bit back and forth, but I, there is so much that I want to talk about <laughs> with this show. And Wonder and Vision are characters that have never really been served by the movies that they've been in. And that's just purely because when you have a huge ensemble cast, you don't have time to focus on a love story. Love might be a central theme to the MCU in a sense of platonic love, but it's hardly ever romantic or any sort of form of sexualized love. The MCU doesn't have time to dwell on romance. And WandaVision specifically makes Wanda and Vision the first characters where the romance is core to their own story. And it goes back to that original quote by Vision, which I said at the start, what is grief if not love persevering? It's a beautiful line and it's perfectly sums up the show for me. It is overall a show about love, but it's also a show about grief, specifically female grief, which is something rarely afforded the time to go into and the manifestations of that grief. Something I didn't mention in Infinity War, actually, because there was so much in the episode on Infinity War that I didn't mention, and I know, was the improvisation by Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in the scene where Wanda has to kill Vision during the fight in Wakanda. There's so many callbacks to that improvised scene, especially when Wanda goes to S.W.O.R.D. to find Vision's body and she says that she can't feel him. But the fact that they improvised this scene and this amazing chemistry together and they actually worked really hard to develop what little relationship in the preceding movies that they had. It also kind of adds to the fact Kevin Feige always had a vested interest in carrying their story further. And WandaVision gave us a great way to see their love, even if it wasn't completely real in the sense of reality as we know it. 
but that the love wonder has for Vision can manifest him. I mean, we can't always, well, none of us can do that. None of us have the power to manifest someone that we love. And while arguably Wanda does turn out to be a bit of a bad guy in the fact that she is controlling this town, her love for Vision and the acceptance of his loss and her grief is what redeems her eventually at the end. No one wants to admit that a loved one is gone. Everyone wants to wake up and have it just be an awful bad dream. Everyone sees a life for themselves with a loved one, whether that's, you know, a partner or a friend or a family member. But if it is a partner, then you will see a future with that person. You will see a home. You might see children. You might see a white picket fence. I know that I have in the past. So many superhero stories focus on loss as a motivator for vengeance. Batman is a prime example of this. Even Avengers Endgame is focused on loss as a primary factor to basically change what's happened and, you know, avenge. That's the point. Grief is such a common plot for superhero movies, so we're on the side of their vigilantism. And Wanda fits all of these tropes. She's orphaned. She's indoctrinated into Hydra. She lost her brother. She was forced to kill her boyfriend only to see him return to life and be murdered in front of her again. She lost five years of her life in the snap. She's an immigrant. She has no ties to the US other than the Avengers. Vision was everything to her. They were going to go and live in a house together in the suburbs. Wanda is primed to be a bad guy in her own story. But like everything in WandaVision, she changes her narrative. She starts on a path of evil and realises that she's wrong and the vision is gone and that she needs to accept it. Lots of people in the show are affected by grief. Obviously, Wanda, Monica, whose mother Maria dies of cancer during the snap. The residents of Westview are being affected by Wanda's grief via proxy because they are experiencing her nightmares. They know what she's going through because of her control over them. It's said that there are five stages of grief. Denial, anger, depression, bargaining and acceptance. Personally, I find isolation is also a stage. And that, that's just for me. Like Wanda, I shut down. I won't speak to anyone for a while if I'm really struggling. But grief really is powered by love, more so than sorrow. We can control how we process our grief. It doesn't have to control us. And one of the things I love so much about WandaVision is... Women are never seen to be allowed to be mourned or grieve in ways that are ugly and painful on screen. We can't all create our Westview, but we can find ways to cope. There is no one-size-fits-all depiction of grief or what it means to each individual, but I can't help thinking that a diverse writer's room with a strong female voice and a female showrunner in Jack Schaefer has undoubtedly helped WandaVision become more than just a superhero TV show. It shows that we're not defined by our suffering and nor are we better for it. We all have the power inside us to be something more. It's just that Wanda has the Scarlet Witch inside her and, and none of the rest of us do. So we just basically have to make do with that. But ultimately, Wanda also has to make do with her grief just as the rest of us. The fact that she is a superpowered being does not mean that she does not have to make do with the grief that she's suffering. Everyone does. So I think that's a really important thing because by that we can be connected to Wanda and we can understand how Wanda is feeling regardless of the fact that she's a superhero or potentially a supervillain <laughs> depending on depending on how you look at Wanda because she does kind of go into a bit of a potentially evil arc but she realises that what she's doing is wrong 
And I think ultimately that redeems her. Let's go through some fan theories because I don't want to dwell too much on grief because I do want this to be a happy episode. But there were quite a lot of fan theories about WandaVision from Mephisto to Magneto. WandaVision fan theories were everywhere at the start of the year and none of them came true. (laughs) pretty much. The casting of Evan Peters, who turned up as Wanda's previously deceased twin brother Pietro, was interesting casting. He'd obviously played Peter Maximoff in the X-Men universe, owned by Fox at the time. And with Wanda confirmed for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, many assumed this version of Pietro was from the multiverse. In many ways, the casting of Evan Peters was a genius move by the production, even if some accused it of stunt casting. Because having Peters involved generated more buzz for the show than it wouldn't have had if someone else had been cast. From his Pietro, many assumed Michael Fassbender's Magneto would show up. However, this rumour proved to be false, as Pietro was simply Ralph Boner, a Westview resident being controlled by Agatha. Reed Richards was also suggested as being Monica's engineer friend, which also didn't happen. But all of this was planned. So... Whilst this wasn't the finale that we got, it was planned to end this way. So, as I alluded to earlier, the pandemic did change what we were supposed to end up with. Monica was supposed to play a bigger part, and so was Senor Scratchy. So you'll remember Senor Scratchy was Agatha's pet rabbit. He was going to be her familiar, and he was going to turn out to be a demon who attacks Monica, Ralph, Billy and Tommy as they try to steal the Darkhold from Agatha's basement. This scene was shot, but basically it was cut due to time. The VFX were unfinished in the scene and they didn't have time to do it. So the whole scene was cut. As I mentioned, they were still working on the final episodes when the first ones aired. So time was really not on their side. Darcy only ends up with one line in the finale as well, presumably cut for time. What was supposed to be 10 episodes ended up being condensed into nine for that reason which is probably why the finale feels a little disjointed compared to the rest of the show. But, you know, considering the limited time they had to complete what they did during a global pandemic, I don't think they did too badly, (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Because if we look at what WandaVision accomplished for the wider MCU, I mean, the main thing that this accomplished was Wanda becoming Scarlet Witch. She embraces the chaos magic and... She is learning how to control these new powers, the Scarlet Witch powers. And this will link to her appearance in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Monica Rambeau obviously got powers as well from going through the hex. White Vision lives. We don't know where he's gone. So while Wanda's version of Vision, try saying that a hundred times version of Vision, Wanda's version of Vision is no more, White Vision is. But it's essentially the ship of Theseus. Uh, The ship of Theseus is an artefact in a museum. Over time, its planks of wood rot and are replaced with new planks. When no original plank remains, is it still the ship of Theseus? What I will say is, if you are interested, patrons of the show The Midnight Myth, their episode on WandaVision, which is fantastic, by the way, because their episodes always are, they do amazing work talking about the ship of Theseus. So if you are interested in more on the ideology behind the ship of Theseus, then listen to the midnight myth because yeah their episode is perfect also sword was introduced we don't know if sword are going to come back uh 
into the MCU, but one can assume that they will. And obviously Wanda's sons, Billy and Tommy. I've not really talked about Billy and Tommy either. Again, so much going on in the show, so much that I've missed. But Billy and Tommy are obviously canonically Wanda and Vision's children, and they will no doubt be back in Young Avengers. But mostly, the most important thing that's come from WandaVision, I think, is the fact that Wanda, as a character, can now actually start not only to heal, but to actually live her life. And I think that's the most important thing, and not be defined by Vision, and not be defined by Pietro, and not be defined by her parents. But to be Wanda, to be the Scarlet Witch. And I, I'm going to really enjoy seeing her do that. I'm going to do an obligatory Keanu reference, by the way. And it's simply that I often make up fancy scenarios of me and Keanu living happily ever after in suburbia. I mean, you think that I'm making that up? <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, I am. No, I'm not. Anyway, so the music, obviously we have to talk about the music because the music in WandaVision is one of the most brilliant things about the show. So I'm going to talk, I'm going to start with Christoph Beck. He is another, another Buffy alumni. He did a lot of the score for Buffy in the earlier seasons. He composed the score for WandaVision uh, and Christian Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez wrote theme songs for some of the series episodes. Uh, again, heavily focused on paying homage to the sitcoms of those decades when approaching them, director Matt Shackman referenced the Adult Swim shot Too Many Cooks. Lopez and Anderson Lopez created a four-note motif, which is an octave, followed by a tritone, which is basically where you get the WandaVision, which is so ingrained in all of the music and all of the episodes of this show. They also sang on many of the theme songs, which they actually put down to the pandemic in its entirety. Not only are they responsible for each theme song, they're also responsible for the best song in the whole show, Agatha's big reveal song, Agatha All Along. This drew inspiration from the Munsters and the Adams family, and it ended up going viral. So to introduce a character literally under Wanda's nose this entire time, Agatha All Along became a huge hit in its own right. It reached 36th on Billboard's digital, digital song sales chart, with 1.6 million streams and 3,000 downloads. And I'll be honest, it's my ringtone. <laughs> I love Agatha all along. I think it's fantastic. And I can't wait until a post-pandemic Halloween when we could all dress up as Agatha Harkness and stroll up and down the streets with our phones blasting Agatha all along. That's what I'm gonna be doing post-pandemic Halloween. You can be certain, because as I said, I love Catherine Hahn. So the first two episodes premiered on Disney Plus on the 15th of January 2021, running for nine episodes, concluding on the 5th of March 2021. 6.48 million people watched the first two episodes and it was Disney's most watched series premiere at the time, obviously since been eclipsed by The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. And critically, it sits at 92% for the series on Rotten Tomatoes, and 77 out of 100 on Metacritic. But I think the most important thing for WandaVision is where it takes the MCU. So Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will be a continuation of the story set up in WandaVision, 
Monica Rambeau will feature in The Marvels, which is the sequel to Captain Marvel. Both of these films are due out in 2022. The Marvels is being written by One Division writer Megan McDowell. It looks like One Division will be a one-off. It will be a limited series. Season two was recently talked about by Elizabeth Olsen and she said it's definitely not happening. But you know, sometimes you just don't need a season two. One Division is pretty perfect in its own right. So I'll be honest, I never thought a TV show about trauma and grief would be one of my favourites of all time. But One Division is not only a visual treat, it feels like a cathartic release. It's progressed the character of Wanda, it's given Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany a real chance to shine like they never had it in the films. Oh, and obviously Paul Bettany is such a fantastic comedic actor as well. Some of his best roles he's ever done are comedy. Look at A Knight's Tale, he's phenomenal in that movie. And I'm so glad we got to see Paul Bettany actually crack jokes and be daft and goofy, because that's the Paul Bettany that I love. And Elizabeth Olsen as well, that she's given a chance to do those sorts of things. She is such a great comedic actress and she's such a great serious actress as well. I love both of them. I love Catherine Hart. I love everyone in this show. It also introduced some really important characters going forward. You know, we're going to be seeing Monica again, definitely. I hope we're going to be seeing Agatha again because I really want to see Wanda and Agatha team up. Whether that's going to be in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I have everything crossed because I would love to see Doctor Strange, Wanda and Agatha team up together to fight someone. I think that would just be so cool. I've never been the hugest Doctor Strange fan. I think his movie is just okay. I love it visually, don't get me wrong. I think the visuals are really strong. But I've much preferred Doctor Strange in an ensemble. Like, I really liked him in Infinity War. So... I'm really going to enjoy to see Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch and Agatha come together in this movie. I don't know whether that's going to happen, but I really hope it does. WandaVision is like an elevated level of smart TV in that it's visually appealing, contains so many Easter eggs and references. I haven't even mentioned the amazing ads in each of these episodes. It has a great cast, it has a great script, but it actually means something. Too often... Women are denounced as being too emotional, but emotion is power. And I think WandaVision teaches us that. Thank you for listening to this special episode on WandaVision. I don't know what the next episode is because I'm going to put up a poll and I'm going to let you guys decide what you want to listen to next. However, I will recommend some movies to watch if you did enjoy WandaVision. I am going to recommend you watch Pleasantville. That's episode six. As I said, I found WandaVision very Pleasantville-esque in the way Pleasantville references 50s sitcoms. And it is a really great movie in its own right. Episode 44, A Knight's Tale, because you want to see more of Paul Bettany, and he is truly brilliant and hilarious in that movie. And you watch it for Heath Ledger. And, he, and Paul Bettany, obviously, but watch it for Heath Ledger, because he's also very great. And, of course, Wonder and Vision's story so far in the MCU. Episode 98, Avengers Age of Ultron. Episode 73, Captain America Civil War. Episode 99, Avengers Infinity War, and the forthcoming episode 100 on Avengers Endgame. As this is being recorded, that episode's not out yet, but once it is, you'll have a little history of Wonder and Vision to kind of go into. I just want to say a massive heartfelt thanks for being a patron of Verbal Diorama, for continuing to support me. It genuinely means so much that so many of you want to not only support me financially, but to kind of have people there in my corner 
who I know will always comment on episodes and stuff like that. It really genuinely means the world to me. So I just want to say that you're all wonderful. And finally... Sparky too. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>